0: This morning's scripture reading is found in the letter of Paul to the Galatians, chapter 1, verses 11 through to 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia, and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ they only were in hearing they only were hearing it saying he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me this is the word of the lord
1: thanks be to god Well, good morning. Sporting my black and white game today. Three months ago, I couldn't fit into this shirt. That's good news. Um, (laughs) You you may have noticed in the news lately that uh, controversies about authority are a thing. Um, You know, if you've been following anything of what's going on in the political scene in the United States, that you know, when authority comes into question, uh, things can get a little bit heated. And there's always been questions and controversies above authority, always has been, and, and there frankly always will be until Jesus comes back. And then all questions of authority will be answered, I assure you. Um, authority is very important. Um, it's it's terrible when it's misused and abused, and it's really a wonderful good thing that God has given um, when it's, it's, it's legitimate. Um, now, in the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, there there's a question, there's a controversy about authority, and we see it in uh, Matthew chapter 21. I'll just refer to it here, but there's this scene where Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. He's in the temple, and he's teaching. And these religious leaders, um, the Jewish religious leaders, come up to him. They approach him, and they have a question for him. They, they want to grill him. They want some answers. And so they put this question to him. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? It's an important question. Jesus answers them. I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's his question that he asks them. Verse 25. The baptism of John, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus that we read about earlier in the gospel. He says, the baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they had to stop and think about that. And they they gather together and they have a little conversation among themselves. And Matthew lets us into that conversation. They're saying, well, uh, if we say it's from heaven he will say to us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let me begin with a word of prayer, because we're going to do a deep dive this morning on these questions. Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak to us from the words that have just been read by me and by Jonathan, and you would speak to us from the word that will be preached, that we would hear your voice coming with your authority, and we would, above all, hear your good news. We'd hear it in our hearts. We'd receive it by faith, humbly implanted, and that it would do the work that only the gospel can do in, in renewing us and restoring us and transforming us. We pray that all things that happen here today would happen for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in that scene that I just read for you out of, out of Matthew 21, the religious leaders understand something that's very important. And it's maybe it's not something that we think a lot about, but here it is. Authority implies responsibility. You see, because if they said that John the Baptist's his message and his ministry came from heaven, they would understand that Jesus would challenge them and say, well, then why didn't you believe it? Because this is God we're talking about. This is, there's no higher authority than heaven, than God. And so there is this responsibility. It's built into human beings because we're created in God's image. Uh, There is a responsibility to obey rightful, legitimate authority. They understood this. But they wanted to avoid the responsibility, didn't they? They wanted to avoid the responsibility, and so they came up, not with an answer, but they came up with a non-answer. We don't know. So Jesus said, fine, I'm not going to tell you. Now, as I thought about this text that we're looking at this morning, Jesus is is really asking us the same kind of question he asked the religious leaders. Imagine... Uh, that if Jesus was here, he might ask us this question this morning, very similar to the question that he asked the religious leaders in the temple. He might ask us, the gospel preached by Paul, is it from God, or is it merely from men? That's the question that we're going to look at this morning, and that's the question that the text that Jonathan read for us, that's the That's the question that this text answers for us. The gospel preached by the Apostle Paul, is it from God? Is it from heaven? Or is it from from people? Is it from men? Is it from mere mortals? That's an important question, given what I said a moment ago about Responsibility. So this morning, I want to begin by looking at Paul's main point in this passage. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me, if you would. If you have a Bible open, open it up. Uh, If you have an app, open that up. Or I think the main verses will be on on the slides behind me. But in verses 11 and 12, Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. And then he explains that further. He says, "For because I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by any man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ." Now, if you've been with us before, if you've been reading the Book of Galatians, I bet that you 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 probably hear um, something that we've we've looked at before that's quite similar to what paul is saying here in verses 11 and 12 because back in verse 1 when we started just a couple of weeks ago here's what paul said at the beginning of the letter in verse 1 paul an apostle here's the similarity not from men nor through man but through jesus christ and god the father who raised him from the dead Now, if we take verse 1 and we take verses 11 and 12 and we bring them together, Paul is is saying two things to us that really, that are intricately and, and, and completely connected. Paul is telling us in verse 1 that his apostolic ministry isn't from man, it comes from God, it comes from Jesus Christ. And then in verses 11 and 12, he's saying that that's also true about his message. The gospel that he preached does not come from a mere mortal. He wasn't taught it. He received it as a revelation from the risen and the reigning Lord of glory. That changes everything. Jesus revealed the gospel message to Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus commissioned uh, Paul into his apostleship on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. You can read about that. And this is so important because Paul's authority as an apostle and Paul the authority of, of Paul's message of the gospel, those things go together and they they stand together or they fall together. And so it's important that Paul teach us, that we learn the importance of the authority of Paul's message. Now, before we look at why Paul is defending the authority of his message here, I want to just press pause with you for a moment. Because as I was preparing, I imagined this question. I like to try and do that, to imagine questions that if I was sitting there, I might have. And the question that came into my mind was, well, what about all the cult leaders? What about all the different cult leaders who have claimed what Paul is claiming here? A personal revelation from Jesus. Right? What about that? I don't know. Maybe am I the only one that that strangely came into my mind? I think I got an amen from my wife. Um, You know, that's a question, right? And actually, if you Google this, it is kind of weird. How many people either claim to have received a revelation from Jesus, or this one's even a little bit further. How many people claim to be Jesus? It's kind of scary. And so I think that's actually a, a legitimate question, right? If I didn't understand the whole kind of Bible message thing and what it's all going on about here, I, I I don't know. I'd have that question. You know, why shouldn't we just lump Paul the Apostle in with, you know, Joseph Smith of the Mormons, claimed to have a revelation from Jesus Christ? Or lump him in with David Koresh of the Branch Davidians. Do you remember that guy? Or... Uh, Sun Young Moon of the Moonies claims to have a revelation from Jesus Christ. Well, let me just briefly give you three reasons why I do not think it's legitimate to take what Paul is saying here and lump it into the category of cult leader, okay? Just three quick reasons. First, See, even though Paul is rooting his apostolic ministry and his apostolic message of the gospel, even though he's rooting these things in the authority of a revelation that he received from the risen Lord, even though he's doing that, we need to understand that his message, everything he writes in the New Testament, lines up with harmoniously Everything that God has said beforehand in the Old Testament. So if you read the Old Testament and then you read the Apostle Paul's writings, you'll see that there's a, a, a connectivity, a harmony. They line up together. Paul isn't just kind of talking about his private version of of some religious cult. No, what he's saying is actually a fulfillment of all the the laws and the promises and the prophecies that you can read about in Moses and, uh, you know, in the the prophets and in, in the writings. So that's the first thing. Second thing. If we study through the book of Acts, this sort of narrative of the early church, and we read the, uh, the epistles of Paul in the New Testament, we see two things. That all the other apostles corroborated Paul's message, his witness, his apostleship. That's very clear. No one questioned his apostleship who was an apostle, who was a, a, an original disciple of Jesus and who was commissioned by Jesus to be an apostle. No, none of those guys questioned Paul's apostleship. And the message that he teaches in his epistles lines up completely with theirs and what they wrote in their epistles. So that's the second reason why we shouldn't lump Paul in with the, the cults. And third, throughout the history of the church for 2,000 years, the writings of Paul and the writings of the other apostles in the New Testament have served to be the canonical standard against which all false teaching, including the cults, have been measured, exposed, and rejected. So I hope you're taking some notes there when that odd person comes to your door and tries to suggest, you know, they've had a revelation from Jesus. Um, shut them down. Shut the door. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe invite them in and read some the Apostle Paul to them. But those are important things. Paul has a an authority that is is confirmed and corroborated all over the place. It's not just this private, personal, Pauline message. So with that said, let's press play again and go back to Galatians 1. In verses 11 and 12, we see that Paul is defending his divine authority uh, for his ministry and his message. But, But the question is, why is he doing this? And I think it's important... I think it's important that we understand he didn't just get his message, you know, off the back of a turnip truck from mere mortals. Because the church was being challenged in that day. And and we need Paul's writings to guard the church in our day because the church faces many challenges all the time. And the church in Paul's day was being challenged. Look at verse 7 with me. Here's the problem. Here's the crisis in the church. Paul says in verse 7 there are some some people who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This is the crisis that Paul is writing the book of Galatians to help help refute to protect the church from. There are people that are there that are troubling the churches by distorting the gospel. We'll call them false teachers. And in order to get in the church, they had to undermine Paul's ministry and Paul's message. Remember what we said a couple of weeks ago, that it was originally Paul's ministry and message that came to these churches, and it was his message that they heard and believed. And so in order to kind of undermine his ministry and message, these guys came along and said, no, he's, he's not a true apostle, and he's not preaching the true gospel. Now, Let me just say, I I don't think these people thought that they were false teachers. I don't think that they thought they were troubling the churches. I don't even think they thought they were distorting the gospel. I think they thought they were helping. Which reminds me of the the old saying attributed to Bernard of Clairvaux, that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You can have all the good intentions you want, but to, to, to mislead people into particularly the truth of God is very dangerous. And that's Paul's made that very clear so far in this letter. Anyway, I think these guys, these false teachers, thought that they were actually correcting a problem. They thought they were correcting what they believed to be a glaring omission from Paul's message about the grace of God. Specifically, they taught that in addition to faith in Jesus Christ... Christians have to obey the law of Moses in order to be saved. That was their message, that faith in Christ is important, but we also have to add on to it keeping the laws of Moses if we are going to be saved. That was the essence of their message, and Paul says that is a distortion of the gospel, and you need to listen to me because I'm speaking with God's authority. With the authority of the Lord of the church, the head of the church. And so he emphatically defends his apostolic authority, not because he's, he's offended, not because he's hurt by what they're saying about me, but he's defending his apostolic authority because he wants to keep these Christians and he wants to keep us from believing a soul destroying, distorted gospel that corrupts the grace of God. That's why this is so important for us. Because every day, all the time, if you were here last week, uh, Brandt went into some of these, we are constantly tempted to embrace to believe, to kind of cobble on to the, the gospel of the grace of God something else that we, we've got to do in order to, to earn our righteousness with God, to earn our good standing with God. And Paul saying that is a false gospel. That's like a Frankenstein gospel. It's scary. So let's take another look at verses 11 and 12. This is the main point of this whole passage. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me, that they originally believed, is not man's gospel. Literally, it's not according to man. For, because, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, implied by any man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying that his gospel, he didn't concoct it. He didn't imagine it. He didn't dream it up. He didn't come up with it. He didn't, wasn't sitting in a Starbucks one day and he thought, hmm, I wonder what a good idea might be. And he just sort of started scribbling and writing. And, oh, this sounds great. That's not where the gospel came from. It came from a revelation of Jesus Christ, the risen and reigning Lord. Paul's saying here that he, he, he it's, the gospel is not his spin on something that he picked up secondhand from the other apostles in Jerusalem. He's refuting that idea too here. He was not taught it by anyone. Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And I, I'm when we hear from him, th- there's no higher authority. You can't get any more authority than that. And I would suggest to you that we, we have a responsibility to respond to what he says. And that is why Paul is fighting for the life and the health and the blessing of this people, this church. He's fighting for us through this text this morning. Because the gospel... The gospel is a message from God. In, in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, it is called the good news of God. The gospel, when you hear it on Sunday, when you read it in the scriptures, it comes with the full authority of God himself. It's the good news of God. Think about that. I, I was preparing this message and it just hit me again. I've been doing this for over 20 years and there's a freshness to it because God speaks good news to us. This is glorious good news. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not, I'm inclined to think that God's upset with me, right? I'm inclined to think that, you know, God is not too happy with Fred. And God is kind of looking at all the mistakes and the errors and the problems and the the weirdness. He can see every one of my flaws. That's not God. God is a God who speaks good news over his people. And I find it amazing given the truth about us. God speaks good news to people who have sinned and rebelled against him. God speaks good news to people who deserve his judgment. He speaks good news to us because he sent his son, our savior, into the world to live the life that Adam and all the rest of us have failed to live and to die the death that all of us deserve to die. And to conquer over the power of sin and death through his resurrection, that is the good news, that message about what Jesus Christ has come and done and accomplished through his life and death and resurrection that 's the gospel message, and it 's not me saying it it 's God saying it to us. God just happens to use means. Paul was an authoritative mean, means I am not. Whatever authority I have here this morning, it's because I seek to be faithful to this book. But it, we're not here. This is not Tony Robbins pep talk time. I'm not here to stroke egos and, and, and you know pick you up a little bit and encourage you. That's, this isn't psychobabble time. This is gospel declaration time. This is God speaking to his people, speaking over them hope and forgiveness and reconciliation and adoption and a love that nothing in heaven and on earth can separate us from. That's what the gospel's about. The gospel is not God's. Sorry. The gospel is not man's message about God. It's God's message to man. And because it is God's message to all of humanity, it demands our response. It comes with his authority. It demands our response. We cannot, we should not, we must not dismiss it, ignore it, or try to explain it away. We have to take it seriously. If you're not there yet, if, if, if you're curious about what I'm saying, don't just dismiss it. Think about these things. I might even have one or two books to recommend you. To think about these things. These are important. Is there, is there something else of higher authority that we could be talking about? There isn't. There's no more crucial, significant, important, authoritative message that you will ever hear in your life. And I'm not stepping out on a limb by saying that. God calls us to embrace this good news. He wants you to receive this good news by repenting of your sin, turning away from it, that stuff that's been ruining your life, that stuff that you're living for, but you know already isn't fulfilling you and giving you the happiness and the hope and the joy that you want to extract from it because you know that already. It isn't going to do it, right? We're not four here this morning. The four-year-olds are in children's, in, in Christ City Kids. We've all lived long enough to understand that the things we chase, that we want so much that we think will make us happy, and it's a mirage. It vanishes. And so God has said, come. Come to the one who made you. Come to the one who loves you. Come to the one who will pour out his grace upon you. Trust my son, repent of your sin and all that stuff. Come to me. So that was exactly Paul's response. That was exactly Paul's response when Jesus revealed the truth of the gospel to him. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. I love this. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So what Paul is doing here is he's setting the stage for us by telling us about the life that he lived before he encountered, before he encountered Jesus and Jesus revealed the gospel to him. And in these verses, Paul or Saul of Tarsus, as he was known at that time, We see, obviously, that Paul's not the kind of person that does sort of things by half measures. But I don't think that's because of Paul's personality. I don't think Myers-Briggs type analysis figured in to explaining Paul. I thought that would get a laugh. Um, That's not how we explain Paul here. Paul is zealous, and I think this is where this speaks to us. Paul is zealous because he believed that he was doing the will of God. Let's face it. Can someone honestly believe they're doing the will of God and be kind of half-hearted and lukewarm about it? I don't think so. This is God we're talking about. The maker and sustainer and sovereign, glorious, magnificent, Holy Lord of the universe. I mean, it just it doesn't work, right? Something wrong there if we can be half-hearted and lukewarm and believe that we are are obeying and serving and loving and living in a way that honors God. It doesn't, doesn't fly. I mean, frankly, I I am I am astonished, I'm amazed, I am shocked. How completely ramped up, excited, and sold out some people, I would say many people, get about things that if they're measured in light of eternity, they don't matter at all. How excited people can get about a sports team, or a hobby, or a lifestyle choice, or even a political candidate. Many people are intensely passionate about these things. One might even say religiously zealous about them. But frankly, these are things that hardly rise above the level of preference or opinion. It's true. It's true. In light of the whole stretch of eternity, these things, not even a blip on the screen and yet such passionate zeal and sort of a shrug or, you know, a lukewarm double-mindedness about the Lord. I don't get it. Well, sorry, that was my little rant. Let's come back to verses 13 and 14. Paul says he was extremely zealous for these religious traditions of his father, so much so that I, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond all of my contemporaries. You know, maybe Paul's parents had a little sign of, on the back of their car, you know, proud parents of Gamaliel, this, you know, hmm? honor student. That's the word I was looking for, honor student of Gamaliel. You know, he he was number one, top of the class. In fact, he says, I was so zealous that I was willing to violently persecute the church and even try to destroy it. Now that sounds... You know, you can read about all of this in chapters 8 and 9 of Acts. But that sounds pretty harsh to us. But actually, that makes sense. Because if he thought that he was... See, the thing with Paul is he did not see yet how Jesus fulfilled all the laws and the, the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament. And so when Jesus comes along, this message about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, he sees that 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 all of that, all of those traditions, those Traditions of judaism are threatened by this message his own identity is threatened the identity of the the people of israel are threatened and so he goes on the offensive he lashes out against the church because he believes that he is obeying god i think jesus talked about that in john 16 so why is he why is he telling us all this why is he describing his former life for us like this in judaism remember the main point of the message that this gospel that he's preaching comes from Christ and not from man. We get some insight into the reason he's sharing this with us in verses 22 to 24. Look at this. He says, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Here we are. They only were hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. See, these Christians were glorifying God because this former persecutor of the church had become a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that that needs to be explained. How did that happen? How did that happen? One person writes, the reason Paul describes his pre-conversion life in Judaism is to show how utterly improbable it is that he could ever have been allured into the ranks of the apostles by any human effort. So how did it happen? The answer is found in verses 15 and 16. Here it is. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles. This is the only adequate way to explain this astonishing change, this transformation that has taken place in Paul's life. He went from being a persecutor of Christians to a preacher of Christ because God did it. God is the one who set the Apostle Paul apart before he was even born. Pray that for Aaron. He set apart for God before he was even born. That God called him irresistibly by his grace. And that God most marvelously and most mercifully revealed His Son to him, literally in him. That's the only way to explain the radical transformation that happened to this man. To, 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 To explain it sociologically or psychologically is woefully inadequate. Paul saw the risen Lord and was commissioned by him personally to preach the gospel. It's not man's gospel, Paul says. It can't be explained just by, by human means. This requires God to explain this. Look at verses 16 to 21. Paul goes on a little bit more. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Jesus didn't come to him on the road to Mass, reveal himself to us and say, now I want you to go to seminary and study with the apostles in Jerusalem. That's not what he did. What did Paul do? But and went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Well, there's not a lot known about what he did in Arabia or Damascus. Some people think that he went and and really did a deep dive on the scriptures to understand how the gospel is the fulfillment of all that God spoke beforehand through the prophets to the fathers. Perhaps I think that was part of it. But I also think he just did what Paul always did. He started to preach the gospel. He went into Arabia. He went back to Damascus. From the moment he got saved, from the moment Christ was revealed to him, you couldn't shut this guy up. He was talking about Jesus. He was gossiping the gospel wherever he went. And that's what he did, I'm sure, for these three years, he tells us. Then after three years, after three years from being converted to meeting Jesus to doing this preaching, he ends up, he says, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Fifteen days, a couple of weeks, hung out with Peter Cephas, hung out with James, met him briefly. After three years of preaching the gospel, this is Paul's gospel revealed from Jesus Christ. He didn't pick this up secondhand. He's an independent witness who corroborates what those guys are teaching too. And that's how we see if further evidence. that This is from God. This is from Jesus. It has this authority. So this is a message this morning that we must not ignore. We can't explain it. We shouldn't explain it away. You might have questions. I'd love to talk to you about that. But we, we, we shouldn't merely try and avoid our responsibility. If if this is true, we, we, we're all under a, a, a responsibility this morning to respond to it. And the response is to repent. To turn away from our sin and our selfishness and our pride and to turn to Jesus, the one who is crucified for your sins. The one who is risen from the dead for your life and reconciliation. Turn to him. Hide yourself in him. Embrace him. But don't say, we don't know. I'm try and avoid it. Let me close by saying one thing. What a story. What a gr- I'm so glad there's moments like this where Paul kind of lets us in to his life because that's an awesome story of just radical transformation, Right? but let me just say that that's also our story maybe it didn't look the same as paul's but what it's the specifics may be different but the same thing is true that all people who believe this gospel are transformed by it it's only good news because it gets into us and it transforms us from the inside out by the working of the holy spirit as we believe and trust and hope in jesus christ That's what the rest of this book of Galatians is about in chapters 5 and 6. It's about that inner transformation. And so consider that. Romans says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes it. Have you believed it? Have you repented of your sin and cast yourself upon the mercy of God revealed in Christ? Because it will begin and and work out a, a radical transformation in your life. I remember about a year after I came to Christ. I was, I, when I was younger, I was known for being into things for short periods of time. I was into cars and clothes and may have paid some attention to girls once or twice. And um, boy, I thought that'd get a laugh from my wife. Um, you know, I was just kind of interested in different things. And then, and then Christ revealed himself to me through an evangelist, someone sharing the gospel with me. And I was, I was gripped. I was changed radically. But my mom thought, well, we'll see. This is a fad, maybe. He's just got religious. And my mom's very patient. She was very patient with me. And after about a year and a half or two years, here's what she said to me. My mother at that time was not yet a believer. And she said to me, she shake her. I can just see her. She's shaking her hand. She says, there's one thing I cannot deny is that you've experienced A miracle. You're a different person. Can you say that about yourself? That's, I'm not pointing at me. That's the work of the gospel and everyone who believes it. So do you see evidence of that in your life? Now, this week, this month, this year, press in. Trust the Lord to do this work and complete this work and advance this work of conforming you to the image of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Speak to us often with your authority through the word and through preaching and through uh, books that help us see more clearly the gospel. We need to hear from you. Captivate our hearts. Work in our hearts by your spirit. Transform us so that we become more and more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver,